Find your feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. There's a Shakespeare quote that I absolutely love and it's out of Much Ado About Nothing, a film that I used to watch over and over again as a child. And the quote is, life is a giddy thing. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been working really hard behind the scenes to launch my Ultra Trail Australia training packages and also probably more excitingly for me to release my trail running guidebook, the Find Your Feet trail running guidebook. The guidebook has really been just like a massive download of everything that had been in my brain about trail running and I think all the sort of little elements that I've learned over the years that have come together and I guess realised that there was a book in all of this. It's pretty scary to stand up and ask for, I guess, recognition financially of the work that has gone into these resources. And I've kind of quite proudly, you know, wanted to be able to say that these resources were there and free for everyone to use because the last thing I wanted to do was to trap this high-level knowledge that elite athletes use to enhance their own performance and their enjoyment of their sport Um, and yeah, trap it up at that elite end and not make it available to you or others as the recreational end of the sport. But I got to the point where there was just been so much love and time and labour that have gone into these resources that it was starting to affect my ability to be able to continue doing this. So I'm really excited to bring to you my guidebook. Um, It's about a 100-page document which goes through, like I say, everything that I know about running on the trails I've decided that the price tag for it is $14.95, but it's a PDF download, and once you've got it, you've got it forever. If you're striving for races, particularly the Ultra Trail Australia in the 2250 or 100 kilometer events, I have put together training packages which include the guidebook for free. So, as part of the package, you'll get your six month training plan. You'll also get a 20% discount to my business, Find Your Feet, which is an outdoor retail store predominantly specialising in trail running. And you'll get this guidebook for free. So it's a pretty, um, pretty awesome little package and those people who download the package will get regular updates and training support from me. Plus, uh, for a limited amount of time that I have each week, I am open to consults with those people who are using those training plans and have read the guidebook. Um, so if you're really interested in having a look at these resources and maybe getting a copy, jump onto my website, um, www.hannyalston.com.au and you'll find those resources there. Any dramas, obviously shoot me a message, Facebook, email or through the website and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thanks. Hey guys, like I really love bringing these podcasts to you and I'm super excited today to again keep the shift a little bit onto me. Now that sounds like I have a big ego and I'm, I'm embarrassed about saying that, but I really feel strongly that there's been a lot of information that we've been putting out in our prehistoric Find Your Feet days with some old podcasts that I want to bring back to life and share with you all today. So I've sat down with my great friend Jess and colleague at work at Find Your Feet to discuss the important concept of base training. It sounds a bit dry and a bit nerdy, but I think it is really important for everyone who wants to succeed in their active pursuits and to perform at their highest ability, whatever that means for them, to understand the significance of the foundations of training and the the real importance of avoiding injury through the process of base training. So that's what we're talking about today. But I just also want to say that this is part of a longer series um, for particularly targeting athletes who are training for the Ultra Trail Australia events in Australia. Um, These events are 100km, 50km and 22km events in May. I don't want to exclude people. But I am wanting to use these podcasts to deliver a range of concepts. So we're starting with base training and then we'll slowly proceed through the concepts of sports nutrition, hills, 
running technique, the psychology of training, and eventually finish up with the importance of tapering into events. So like I said, you can use it for whatever your ambitions are, but we're also going to narrow it in and often be raising the concept of the Ultra Trail Australia in May. So let's get stuck into it and enjoy this podcast with just myself. So in our last podcast, we discussed the psychological foundations of performance um, and the importance of getting a clear sense of ourselves and becoming intrinsically motivated before we begin to play with any kind of training or program. Um, and then also like maintaining a sustainable training mindset so we don't burn ourselves out through like overtraining or injury. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to start talking about the physical training aspect of performance, particularly for trail running and the advice for our listeners who might be using your resources to assist their training for the UTA. But really, this can apply to anyone. Yeah, um, you're right, Just because I think we had to really have that conversation last time because I think if we don't set the foundations right psychologically, it makes the physical really, really hard going forward. Mm. Yeah, so it's I guess it keeps coming back to that, working on that sense of self first and foremost and then building the foundations of performance on top of that. Yeah, yeah. So today we're going to talk about base training. <laughs> um, it's the first um, aspect of physical training that you've listed like in the guidebook so um, I guess I just wanted to know why why that is so and why you think it's so why base training is so important to start with yeah I think look everything that I'm teaching now I realize is coming just from a, a whole history of experience and we talked a lot about that in the last podcast but you know, I started in that swimming world. I then went into athletics and track running. And then from that jumped into orienteering, marathon running, and ultimately trail and ultra running. And as I went through that journey as an athlete, I realized that in Australia, it didn't really matter which sport we were in or I was involved in. We were seeing this really similar process of quite eclectic training. And by that, I mean that we every week we were participating in a jumble of base training which we'll come to discuss that but like mm. slow steady state kind of running or sport and then we were doing recovery stuff and then we were doing strength stuff and then we were doing speed stuff and high intensity and it was all like jumbled into one week and mm. um, I was noticing across all the sports that it didn't really matter what sport I was doing I was often fatigued run down and I wasn't I wasn't the only one like there were many people in our squads and friends that were also struggling with this and I I started to really question whether it was a symptomatic of this Australian mentality of sort of fitting everything into the one week mm. and then I moved to New Zealand in 2008 and was actually studying uh, a bachelor of primary school education over there and was fortunate enough to meet a wonderful coach by the name of Barry McGee and Barry had come from training in the Arthur Lilliard model of training, which has become very, very famous for ultra distance, well, not for ultra, but for distance running in general. Mm -hmm. And he coached some really phenomenal athletes to Olympic success. And he, Arthur Lilliard had worked out that when athletes performed and trained in the base training phase for as long as possible, and, and he almost put no boundaries on this, but I think he had like a minimum of eight weeks was really important for athletes. Then he was seeing that when they then went into doing more strength and heel and then the speedier high into high intensity stuff at the ends, like they weren't getting the same injuries. They were getting a much more sustainable training, um, training process and ultimately getting better results on the world stage. Mm. So, he sort of started to really work with this concept more and more and, and began to understand that when you are training in this sort of lower intensity, much more comfortable, steady state for a long period of time, the body adapts to that and builds stronger muscle fibers. And um, yeah, and, and that really it was that very high intensity stuff that 
he worked out should come very late in the piece that was the stuff that really broke the body down. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I guess Barry McGee, who I was training with, began to really also adopt this process as a coach. And we started doing a lot more just uh, easier, what I would call easier state running compared to what I was used to in Australia. And I was I found that my marathon performances started to dramatically improve. I stopped seeing the niggles that I was seeing when I was in Australia. Um, we avoided a lot of the track running that Australians were doing in that in that athletic and marathon world. Mm. Did a lot more just rolling around the grasslands and the parklands, and the training was just like a whole lot more enjoyable as well. Um, yeah. And ultimately came out the other end feeling like a much stronger athlete when it got to putting on that high intensity stuff at the very end. So I guess I've adopted that principle a lot and I've really come to, to avidly believe in it that we we should stop mixing our training so much, you know, from trying to squeeze everything into one or two weeks and really look at this as more of a sustainable periodized training model. Yeah. No, I find that idea of training where you're still comfortable to be quite foreign because I guess I'm under the assumption that if you're not pushing yourself really hard if you're not trying to like at the end of your session if you're not sweating and your heart rate's not pumping and you your legs don't feel like they're about to fall off then like you haven't really trained like that you haven't actually made a difference to your bodies yeah definitely Jess and you're not alone like that was the that was the interesting thing when I I guess progressed from being focused on my own running career to then be helping other people that I began to work with a lot of adults and it's much more um adult mentality to have that this feeling that you've got this window of opportunity in your day or your week and you need to absolutely make the most of that um and I was just realizing, yeah, that adults would just literally pull on their shoes, rush out the door and go hard. And then they'd, you know, head to the gym the next day and go hard or join a spin class and go hard and then dive in the pool with their friend and chase one another up and down the pool. And it became this mentality of like, most people end up going hard. And part of the problem with that is that when you don't give your body the rest time, the required downtime, you find that you carry so much fatigue into your hard sessions that you can't go hard. And so mm. adults were generally falling down into the plod zone. And I realized too, that that was really what had stunted my development as an athlete a lot in my own career was that I was just perpetually fatigued from trying to always do so much in one week that even when I thought I was going hard and doing these high intensity stuff and also carrying a huge risk doing it of getting injured, but I was also underperforming in those sessions because I wasn't recovered. Mm. So I guess like this is a very long way around of saying like base periodizing first and foremost is absolutely critical when it comes to training and wanting to get the most out of yourself, whether you're elite or recreational athlete just starting out. Mm. But it's also really, really important to, um, you know, yeah, like avoid injury and get the most out of yourself and avoid this horrible plod zone that athletes and adults particularly fall into that yeah, trap. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I guess I'd actually really like to know what the physiology is of building muscle when it's not, when you're not pushing. Like, I don't yeah. understand how you can actually improve your body, like when you're just going easy like to me it just doesn't make sense is there a way of explaining yeah how it works definitely (laughs) so I think yeah you're spot on that the body the only way a body can improve is for it to be challenged and then rested and recovered Mm. but there's different ways of challenging a body and just purely going out and for example running hard or riding hard and and getting to that point of pain um that's not the only way to, to challenge your body. The other thing about this is that um, as we get fit, like when you first start out, and running is the classic example, because when you first start running, if you're not used to doing it, um, maybe you go for a little roll around some hills over 45 minutes or something, you're going to pull up pretty sore over the next few days. But as you get fitter and your body adjusts to that, you... Um, 
you don't become as aware of that pain, but it doesn't mean that you don't have that underlying damage still present in your muscle tissues. Mm. And as you get fitter and stronger, you find that you actually can do more of this activity and then you get this sort of like build-up of muscle damage and muscle damage and muscle damage. But not all parts of your body are actually innovated to the same heightened level. So we know, for example that if you hit your elbow or stub your toe, like it really, really hurts. Whereas if you um, bump a different part of your body, you don't get that same intense pain. And Mm. it's the same across the whole body. So, for example, we don't have much of an innovation in our Achilles tendon, which is a high-risk area for athletes and runners. We also don't have the same innovation to our diaphragm or to some of our organs, and they're also working just as hard when you're exercising. So when we're talking about recovery and and building up a strong body through base training, we're not just talking about the big muscles that we think of to motor to motor us when we're exercising, but it's all the other bits of the body that are involved in this process. Mm. So coming back to your question, like we can when you partake in base training, you're not just jogging along. You can still have days where you're working hard and you can still have days where you're recovering and going really easy. But the hard I try to kind of limit to this uncomfortably comfortable zone of training or the other way of thinking about it is like a comfortable but uncomfortable point in your training. So an example of that is like when you're able to maybe run along a track, you're working fairly hard, but you could still just hold a conversation with your friend. Mm. And like this morning I was out running with Dale and we were jumping in the puddles and we were laughing, but we were still kind of running along at a harder effort, but we were able to enjoy that experience and, and converse in that experience. But but above that point, when you get into the point where you're not able to have a conversation or talk to someone, then, you know, you're kind of moving into those more higher end anaerobic zones. And they're the ones that carry the most injury risk. So Mm. I still pulled up pretty sore from this little session we did this morning, but during that experience of it, it wasn't, it wasn't like lung busting, you know, leg searing, lactate building <laughs> zones. So does that make sense? So yeah. it's, it's just hard to get your head around it. Like, cause base training, yeah, you can get into those uncomfortable zones, but then you've also got duration and we haven't even talked about that, but like long distance stuff or long runs or long rides and at the time, they don't feel that hard, but as the duration goes on, you start to feel more and more fatigued from that. Yeah. And that's still base training, and you're still taking a huge number of steps on your body and on all the organs and the fibres of your body, and that in itself will also take time to recover from. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess um, it can also be quite easy for people to overtrain during base training periods even even though like because it's quite easy to tell like if you've if you've really gone hard your legs are dead like you know that you need to recover but it feels like it could be quite easy to overtrain during a base training period because maybe you're not feeling those physical symptoms but they are yes Uh, yeah 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 yeah, absolutely spot on it is um it's really really easy (laughs) to overtrain but but thankfully the risks are a little bit lower still because if you are really doing true anaerobic training, like true high intensity speed work, I can guarantee it doesn't matter how fit you are, you'll pull up sore and heavy and fatigued from those sessions. And you mm. generally will rule out a good couple of days before you can get back into any form of quality or even like even a good aerobic training after one of those sessions. So when you are base training, because you haven't got quite the same loading on the body, you can get out the next day and go and do it again. Not do the same session again, but you can go out the next day and do another session. Um, Or you can jump on your bike, or you can go for a swim, or you can go for a jog, and you can keep a lot more consistent in your training, which is also one reason why most athletes can get to about 80 to 90% of their maximum ability just doing base training, because Mm. you can build that fitness so consistently and so beautifully. Um, yeah, but yeah, you're right. Overtraining is a really interesting one because for most people in the adult population, overtraining is not just a symptom of what training they do, but it's what 
the lifestyle within which they are doing their training. Yeah. And I like to call it over life, mm. you know, syndrome because, um, our body deals with stress in exactly the same way. It's a hormonal and a chemical response to a threat. And that threat could come from a huge workload. It could come from an emotional stress at home. It might be the fact that you're sleep deprived because you have a child under the age of two. Um, it, or it could be, yeah, someone who just doesn't know how to put the brakes on with their training. Mm. Um, so I find that when we think about when we need to recover and how we need to periodize our training, we have to think about these loads that our bodies are under. Mm. Um, and I've seen it. I've seen it in so many people who say to me, like, I couldn't possibly be overtrained. <laughs> and yet when you look at it as a whole, they clearly are. And the easiest way is to actually think about whether you're overtrained or, like, you know, look at are you sleeping properly? Are you eating okay? Have you lost your appetite? Have you lost weight? Have you gained weight? Do you get muscle aches and pains at night? Are you moodiness or have you got depressed thinking? Do you feel clear in your thoughts or foggy in your thoughts? Like mm. these are some of the clear indicators of people who are overtrained. And um, if you want to go even deeper than that, just do a blood test and look at your, your male and female hormonal levels and your cortisol levels and, if you've got depressed testosterone, depressed growth hormone, depressed female hormones and elevated cortisol, you're absolutely guaranteed that you've you've started embarking down that overlife syndrome. Mm. Yeah. So do you think it's easier do you think that we can like reduce our risk of overtraining by um doing different activities? So even if we wanna like maybe train for running the UTA or like even like a 20k race do we reduce our risk of overtraining if say we incorporated swimming cycling walking like other things I um I completely agree with that statement Jess because for most of us it's really hard to stop because exercise makes us feel good and it gives us clearer thinking at the moment in time when we're doing it in the hours after it it's only if we do too much that we kind of can go down into that foggy thoughts and um but as a whole like yeah exercise is a huge part of us so and it's not just exercising like it's just literally being outside and fresh air and movement and Mm -hmm. friendships and so I think if we become too regimented in our thinking this is one thing that I'm really trying to educate people with like the guidebook and with the training resources is to allow for flexibility in getting excited and doing the things we want to do. Um, Mm. So like, you know, the last few days it's been what 30 degrees, absolutely stunning. Like imagine trying to have a rest day on a day like that, like craziness. So um, I think the most important thing for me is like if people are are targeting a goal, like a hundred K or a 50 K is that your harder, your moderate and your harder days of training the the ones that are really important in the week they need to be focused to the activity in which you want to be succeeding in yeah so if it yeah if it's a 100k running event then on those moderate and hard days you need to focus in on running and getting the kilometers in the legs and building up that strength and endurance that we're looking for in base training but on the easy days or if you want to do a second session on those days just for enjoyment or recovery yeah pick another sport pick pick something that makes your toes tingle and that you know by doing that activity you're going to be even fresher and more bouncing out of your skin the next day and that can be fresher physically but it can also be just fresher psychologically and emotionally Mm. um so yeah you're always kind of like playing in a way that gets you feeling like the best version of you and the most bouncy and fresh version of you yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. I actually I totally noticed that when I started swimming a little bit more was that it actually the stretching out in swimming of like freestyle um really actually helped my back then when I was running I found less like um tension in my shoulders because I've just been working them in a different way and so they kind of swimming is absolutely the best for recovery Mm. and if you want to pick another sport anything that's like non-weight bearing so swimming surfing 
being immersed in water because you also get the cold compression of the water as well. Mm. So it really, it's not just like, it is the movement, the movement's incredible, but it's, and the buoyancy, but it's also, yeah, that sort of like compression of the water helps to kind of pump the blood back through the body and you also get cold compression. So yeah. Yeah. The other one is like running in water up to your waist, like seawater is, is an amazing like recovery oh. tool and really good if you're coming back from injury. Uh, and so is like being just swimming in ocean water. Yeah. So yeah. like surfing or open water swimming. Yeah. Mm. No, I just had an image of running through the Tasmanian ocean in oh, <laughs> the winter. I, and I was like, oh no. Yeah, I had an experience when I first moved back to Tasmania and I actually had a lot of knee pain, which I now know was actually ITV and ocean water swimming. Ocean water running was not really going to help me. But you, the way to do this is you wade into your waist and then try to run. So you keep your feet on the sand. And right. in the spate of about 100 metres, I saw about 10 massive and baby stingrays. And I was just like, that is it. <laughs> there has got to be another way to come back from injury. So you do need to pick your battles. But um, but yeah, it is it is really good to be waiting in ocean water, particularly after a bigger session. Yeah, so, cool. Yeah. That's something that's like a little bit different that yeah. I wouldn't have expected to yeah been yeah beneficial yeah I had a coach Max Cherry who um used to always send us in all year round middle of winter down here in Tassie to wait around you know in the ocean yeah we weren't even running we were just like waiting after every single session and he did it because he said that all the greyhound and racehorses that's what they would do as well and they take the animals into the ocean so that's what he did with us (laughs) (laughs) cool um It's important for me to also remind you that the only way I can continue to bring these podcasts to you is through the amazing support of our business, Find Your Feet and the community that we represent. Our Find Your Feet store is an outdoor athletic store. We stock a range of products from travel, trail running, outdoor adventures, hiking, you name it, we've probably got it. And we try to bring the most ethical brands to you both in fair trade environments, but right through to environmental support. So our brands, we do believe we stock the best. Um, We also believe that the products that they make are going to be long lasting and out there on wild adventures with you over many, many years to come. So please uh, continue to support Find Your Feet, www.findyourfeet.com.au. We free express ship all around the country for anything over $100 and we'd really love it if you can join our wild saying that your coach had recommended like a minimum of eight weeks for base training but do you sort of have a time period that you say to people like especially those ones that are like go-getters that like Mm. they want to do the base training but they also really want to get on to like working on heels and speed is there some way that we can sort of monitor or like work out when we can progress to that next level or a minimum time that we should be spending base training? Yeah, just as that's a really good question. Um, sadly, I really want to make it a simple answer, but it's not going to be because sadly we are all different and we're all at different phases in our journey to performing, whatever that performance might mean for you as a person. And it does depend on the goal as well, because if your goal is simply to thrive while hiking the Three Capes track, you probably never need to move on from base training. You will succeed well and well and truly above your expectations if you just focus on base training and doing that really well. But for someone who, for example, like I've coached people who want to make the Australian 24-hour track racing team I can't get my head around that, <laughs> but that was their goal. Or juniors who want to compete at the highest level at the world championships in orienteering, mm. then they, of course, are going to need to go and do that really high-intensity stuff. But it also depends on their history. 
So if you are someone who's new to sport, um, new to running or triathlon or whatever that is, and you don't have the years of just built up mileage in your legs, you really probably shouldn't move beyond base training for at least 12 months, (laughs) um, Mm. if not longer. And um, if I had my way with you, I'd probably keep you in that world for three years because I just think it does take about three years for people to mature as athletes. And it's quite interesting, but at about, for the first couple of years, most people can get away with blue murder when it comes to performing. Um, They can go and do track running and hill sprints and, and often you don't see injuries to the same level as you do in athletes who've been in it for a while. But on the flip side to that, when they get to about that three-year mark, that's when you start to see that it all starts to catch up with people. So I like to kind of keep people kind of in their box and Mm. working in a more sustainable manner for that good three years and getting a really nice solid base and the muscles getting really used to it and the body systems and the organs. And you find that if they can do that really well, then it's it's phenomenal what they can achieve after that point. Um, It also is an age thing. So for instance, I've been working with a junior over in New Zealand where I was working with her for a number of years and I started working with her when she was 14 Um, and she has still phenomenal potential to be a world champion without a doubt Um, she has the right mindset she has an amazing athletic ability she was killing it over three kilometers on the track and it was incredibly tempting to kind of work with that and to 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 keep making her a champion but you knew that if you wanted her to still be on the top of the tree when she's 25 to 30 years old if that's what she wants to do which is what what the goals were that by pursuing short-term success now we were going to only compromise her long-term success so we Mm. were we held her in the base training phase for three years really like we we did quality training but we never were doing that really, really high intensity stuff that, yeah, could make the difference of five or 10% on the world stage for these years, but was only going to compromise her long term. Mm. So the short answer is I think you really have to be brutally honest with yourself about really where you've come from, what you want to do. And I have no doubt that someone could get off the couch now and in six months time run a hundred kilometers, but it's to the expense of what that's going to do in the long term. And that's physically and psychologically. Yeah. I think you're going to have a much better experience if you try to pick goals that are in keeping with where you're at and you allow yourself to just enjoy the beauty of base training, which is, it is by far and away the most enjoyable yeah. type of training because it's where you're the most playful and the most adventurous and go on the wildest missions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I guess you've kind of already answered this, but even though um, base training is sort of um, set up in a way to say that it's to it's the first step then to do heels and speed and that type of stuff, but really you can use it any time in your life for like any aspect. You don't just have to use it if you're trying to train for a race, right? Absolutely, and I think... Uh, it is that perfect place to keep coming back to to ground yourself and put your feet back on terra firma after you have either done something successful that you're really proud of or whether you've experienced a setback and you just don't know where to start again just keep coming back to base training keep coming back to base training and Mm. I wish I didn't have to use the word training and I, I I'm trying to think of what the alternative is like I talk a lot about playing but but yeah, come back to that place, like that more playful, gentler, more compassionate area of training mm. and exercising and you can't go wrong. Like I really believe that. And so for me, you know, making the transition out of being an elite competitor on the world stage over the last you know, numerous years, but particularly the last three years and in May reaching a place where that wasn't the goal anymore for me this is the place I've come back to is just base training and um, the play associated with that and the ability to cross train. And I'm keeping like an amazing level of fitness. I still feel almost as good as I did in May, but my body is in a much happier place. Uh, And I know that from like a female perspective and also from an injury perspective, like 
And just strong, resilient, happy, fit, playful. You know, it, it's a great feeling. So good mm. question. Mm. Mm. And then I just have probably one last question. Yeah. <laughs> when reading through the guidebook, I wasn't quite sure with some of the uh, vocabulary. And one of the ones that stuck out to me was the difference between anaerobic and aerobic um, exercises. Yeah. Do we need to have a mix of those two or am I going to sound a little bit silly? Like is yeah. there certain exercises that are anaerobic and certain that are aerobic or is it the intention that you give to the exercise that makes it those? Ooh, big question. Sorry. No, no, it's a good question. And I think if we can't get our heads around this, then we're probably failing our audience in, in this podcast. Yes. Yeah, so base training to me is aerobic and by aerobic, I mean that you're utilizing oxygen to create energy and you're not building up huge amounts of lactic acid, which come when you are exercising without oxygen. So the times we exercise without oxygen are when we're going so hard that when we're trying to breathe, we're not getting enough oxygen back in the system to, to power our muscles. So our body system converts over to utilizing a different form of energy that it can use without oxygen. But sadly, that can only sustain us for a very short period of time before we build up these enormous amounts of that leg-searing, lung-busting lactic acid, the horrible feeling that we all detest. Mm. Um, So, yeah, so the idea of base training is to really avoid that situation as much as possible. And for some people, that's quite hard. Like, people are used to they almost get addicted to that pain. Um, mm. And especially people who utilize the gym and strength training, they're actually at very high risk because a lot of gym training actually takes you into that world. Um, so, you know, if you want to do your strength training and things like that, then you really need to make sure that you're working in the base training phase more on foundational strength and core strength. So, by that I mean learning how to activate your glutes, you know, or activate your core and you're, um, you're not lifting massively heavy weights. You're not doing short reps with really heavy weight, but you're actually doing a lot more body weight, a lot more balance training or agility training or um, low weights with lots and lots of reps. So they become more endurance activities. Um, you've got to obviously work out what you're trying to do in the gym or in your strength training, what the purpose is, but for me, um, it's about incorporating that sort of training daily, small amounts, very much more activation, turn the muscles on and then go out the door for my run. Mm. Um, and then when it comes to like the physical training, it's definitely just about moving through like a wave of different intensities during the week. So I like to call this wave training and it's moving for me from like an easy day to then a, like an easy day where the pure focus is like getting ready and recovering before the next day. Then a moderate day, which is just about just go for a run or just go for a ride or just go for a swim and just clock up some mileage. And if, like I say, if your goal is running, then you really should be running at least once on this day mm. and then moving into your hard day. And the hard is about, like you can still run hills, don't get me wrong. Like I run, I run buckleheads of hills even on my easy days. But, um, but you're not setting out to go and do hill sprints because that'll take you to anaerobic. You're not going to be able to breathe enough oxygen in if you're sprinting up a hill to support that level of intensity. Mm. But you could go and run a five minute hill at a slightly lower intensity, and it's still. <laughs> It's still going to cause you just as much pain in the end of the whole session and get a whole lot more out of it and not be at high risk of injury or ultimately burning yourself out. Mm. So, yeah, so you go to those harder days, which are either higher intensity with longer reps and not going into anaerobic zone or they're your long, long runs. So maybe, or long, I always talk about running because that's what I coach in, but those longer sessions. So like your two-hour run is a classic example of a harder day just because you're purely taking that many steps mm. and that body has to deal with that much load and that, that number of steps you've taken. But when you're doing it, you're not out there sprinting around for two hours. You know, you're out at a conversational pace 
that you could maintain comfortably for two hours. Mm. Um, and then you rotate back into your easy day and then your moderate day and then your hard day and then you have a rest day and that's your week. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Simple. <laughs> sort of simple. <laughs> but then I guess like it, it just totally varies depending on the level of fitness of the person as to like and and then their lifestyle as well as to what that looks like yeah like for me sometimes easy days just look like stretching yeah and (laughs) and if that and that's what I say about being brutally honest with yourself and it's Mm. really hard in this modern era to be honest with ourselves because we look on social media and our friends are running up some mountain over there or entering that race and, and there's so much FOMO that fear of missing out So you have to put your blinkers on and you have to be completely brutally blunt, honest with yourself and be like, yes, today I need to rest. (laughs) You know, um, other people, sometimes they need to spank themselves to get out the door a little and you have a shove, but most people, and I've found this with coaching, 98% of people who come to you who want to be coached, um, need to be told to slow down. (laughs) Like there are very few people who need to be motivated to speed up. Mm. Um, but I think like a lot of people listening to this might be questioning how you grow if, if you're just holding yourself in base training for three years. Yeah. Was that a question? That's a great yeah. question. <laughs> um, and the thing is what you once, so I like to, con- I like to work on a three week cycle and I've talked about this quite a bit. You have a moderate week and to me, a moderate week is doable and it's based on like, I've kind of done a load like this roughly before. And then in, I like to move into a hard week. So in those moderate weeks, you still have like what I said, that easy, moderate, hard, easy, moderate, hard rest. Like Mm -hmm. you have that seven day cycle, but then you stretch yourself into your hard week and a hard week, you just ask yourself the simple question, like, how can I take myself one one step closer to where I want to be? And if that's a a target race in six months time, or whether that's just, I just want to be fit, that's your call. But on your hard days, you challenge yourself a little bit. So if you did, I don't know, some five-minute hill reps, if we take that example from earlier, five-minute hill reps and I did three of them last week, then this week maybe I'll try four or maybe I'll try and make them six minutes or maybe I'll go and do a completely different hill or maybe I'll just run up a hill for 10 minutes and see how much that hurts. <laughs> like, um you, but whatever that challenge you set yourself is, that's what you do in your hard week. And therefore, you're stretching yourself to a new place, a new place of growth. Yeah. And then you go into an easy week after those two weeks where you just allow your body to recover, do what you need to do to feel like you're jumping out of your skin by the weekend. And then you go off and you do those big missions that we've talked about. Yeah. Um, and that's a three-week cycle. But here's where you grow. Um, if you go through that process and if we take by definition a moderate week as a doable week, we'll think back to that hard week you just did and be critical with yourself and go, was that doable or did I break myself? Did I push myself too far or did I get it right or did I not even push myself enough? And if you survive that hard week and you pull up okay after a few days of recovery, then you now know that is your new norm, that is your new moderate. And if you use that as your moderate week the following week and stretch yourself again beyond that in the next hard cycle, can you see how you can slowly start to take yourself closer to where you want to be? Yeah, it's really cool. So, like, I look back at some of the moderate training I was doing three years ago and that's probably now even my easy recovery week because I've grown as an athlete and as a person. Yeah. Yeah. So do you reckon it's still possible for people, even if you were like to never, because you're obviously still growing doing your base training, Mm. even if I never like trained on speed or heels, is it still possible to enter a race and do well? Absolutely. Like I wouldn't recommend going and entering the Olympics and not doing that (laughs) training. But but you're crushing my dreams. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, But yeah, but for most, most people, like seriously, for most people, yes. And you will have a ball and you will exceed your expectations because you're going to just be so consistent, so fit, so strong and resilient that 
yeah, you will perform on the day. But like I say, for a percentage of the population who really are looking for the extra one percenters who, you know, like for myself a couple of years back, wanted to stand on a world stage and perform at the absolute best of my ability and be chasing my dreams, then no, you will need to stretch yourself into those painful places of um, anaerobic training. But one thing I would still add is that I do believe that hills are your best friend if you really want to get the most out of yourself. So I would like to say that my preference would be that people do partake in base training and while they're doing it, they're adding in rolling around lots of hills because they, they develop an amazing amount of strength and amazing amount of fitness and also it's very hard to get injured on a hill because you have to run in quite good technique, otherwise it feels awful. Mm. Um, and same with cycling, like a, a hill is going to make it a whole lot harder for you, but it's very hard to injure yourself. But then, you know, to add in on top of that, once you've got a good base developed, some more specific hill training where you actually, yeah, really do set out and think about using a hill to do intervals on it and to um, tempo up it or to do some time trials on a hill and, you know, really specifically focus your weeks on hills and strength that comes from hills. Mm. Um, that's that next phase after base training before you get into the anaerobic. Mm. Um, I think that's incredibly valuable for people who really are targeting racing. So if you're not, yeah, if you're not targeting racing yet, hold yourself in base phase and just enjoy it and play in it and make it a lifestyle. But if, yeah, if you are wanting to kind of, you know, get quite a lot out of yourself on a race, then I would definitely just take that extra step and add in some hills. Yeah. 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 It seems like it's the type of thing as well. You can't just look at each individual aspect as independent. It's all totally yes. intertwined yeah. and interrelated because I thought that I was just doing base training just sort of like going for runs and stuff. But then I'm always incorporating hills, but I haven't been like, oh, I'm doing hills. It's just like, oh, I'm just going yeah. for a run and doing base training. So yeah, exactly. Kind of like... So even for you, you have a lot of room to grow, it sounds like, in your base training because it sounds like you could still build in some probably harder days where you're doing maybe like a 20-minute tempo run you know, to, to getting up into that almost, I'm almost uncomfortable, but I could still chat to Hannah if I was running with her, Mm. um, and sort of have a little bit more of a discrepancy between super easy days and those harder days. So that, like that's growth phase for you, number one, but then, you know, ultimately you're building into maybe like when you do that one hour circuit over the hills, rather than just roll, roll over them and try to run them, you now try to run them hard. Mm. and you can start to build in this sort of hill phase as well and that's at that place where you know you really you'll become a butterfly like and be ready to race if that's what you want to do but Mm. or to just go and conquer a goal of your own out in the mountains (laughs) my preference (laughs) cool so did you have anything else you wanted to add about base training no, look, I think today has, I, we're not here to, you know, write the guidebook. We're here to, mm. to just give people a, a, a bit more of an understanding about these principles. And even if you're, yeah. if you're not a runner or you're not reading the guidebook, I still do honestly believe that it's really important to hear some of these messages and to particularly want to urge um, adults to be very wary of the go harder mentality that is very strongly existing in Australian culture. Mm. Um, But I also do probably want to just put a note out there for um, people in the older (laughs) generations who are still really, really active. And I'm trying to put that diplomatically. So um, aging brings with it greater challenges for recovery and we're all going to have it. So it's, it shouldn't be a taboo topic, but if you are an older athlete, um, it is really, really important that you give yourself more time to recover and probably be less strict on yourself with your training routines because it's a little bit more fickle and unpredictable as to how quickly you'll pull up from your training even your easy stuff. So, uh, I, yeah, I just want to put that as like a, a caution note at the end of the podcast. So if you, if you're an older athlete, then 
allow grace time, more grace time for your recovery. The other thing that probably then springs to mind is just a note on racing because a lot of people ask the question that can you, if I'm expected to stay in base training for so much of my life as an athlete who wants to perform, can I still race? And that's a, it's a question that comes all the time to me. And 100% my answer is yes, you can race, but just don't, no, two, two things on that. One, don't over race because the more you race, the less time you get to train consistently. And so if we take away our consistency, then we take away our ultimate ability to perform at the best of our potential because you'll just spend too much time tapering, too much time hurting, (laughs) coming back out of the hole from the race, and then it'll take you time to still build back to where you were in your training. So I think a lot of people get that wrong. And the second thing is just have the right expectation on that race. Like you're not going to be able to go into every single race and perform on your A game, because if you really are building up to a bigger goal, then that should be the focus. So The way I like to think of it is like the races that you might pick during a base phase are your C and your B level races and they're building towards your A level race at the end of this period of training. The B level races and the C level races, the difference with them is that a C race, it doesn't really matter. You can do it on the back of a hard week and whatever, just take it as it comes. A B level race, you might prepare by tapering back a little bit and recovering up and resting up for the event. But if the going gets tough and you get to that crunch point, which you may well do, where you're like, do I just grip my teeth and dig bloody deep and, um, you know, struggle through to the finish line or do I take a step back and take the pressure off myself a little bit? Potentially that might even mean pulling out, you know, who knows? But If that's the decision point you get to, which you may well do, then you back off yourself and you know that you're not going to dig a big hole that's going to take a long time to get back out of and jeopardise, therefore, your A-level race. So I think it's kind of really important just to kind of take a step back if you're setting these goals up for yourself and even if that's for your big adventures, maybe not just racing and, um, and just, yeah, make sure you sort of check in with what the goal is going to be. And I think then you'll have a really positive experience with racing during base training. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Good. (laughs) Yeah. So it's not, the human body is not a simple thing, Mm. you know, and it, and I'd love to be able to sit here and say, do that, do this, don't do that. And you'll be fine. But it, it isn't that simple. And I think everything that we're trying to do through find your feet and, obviously through the podcast and the resources is to try to empower people to be able to make smart decisions Mm. and to look after themselves. Yeah. Yeah.